Hey, good morning. Good to be here with you today. We've got a lot to cover today, and I've got about 30 minutes to do it in. And so I want to jump right in uh, today. Today's message is called, For You Are With Me. And it's probably one of the most famous scriptures ever. It's read in movies. People have used it uh, with poetry. Uh, people have used it for comfort. They've read it. And it is one of those psalms because we're in this series about Psalms, that has to have some attention. So what I did was, as I was researching this, I didn't just want to read it and make a few points. I'm going to make no fewer than nine points today from this in the 30 minutes that I have. And then I want to uh, introduce you to a prayer that I came up with this. And I want to give you two next steps. So I know there's a lot here, and I've got about 30 minutes to do it. And then we're also going to do something together uh, as a church uh, today as well. But I wanted to start us off with prayer. You know, during this series, we have talked about how this is a series on prayer. And rather than uh, saying why we should do it, we're going to talk about how to pray in this series and what you should pray for. And last week, we began by talking about the two ways. It's kind of a tough way to start a prayer series uh, because most of us need prayer. Most of us want to learn how to pray. Most of us probably know someone who prays well and wish we could do it like they do. And so most of us want to. And last week, we started off in kind of a tough way. The psalmist, the writer of the Psalms, starts off all of the Psalms by saying, which way are you going? Are you going towards God and ultimately want to follow him and want to live with him for the rest of your life? Or are you going your own way? And we talked last week about how Jesus divides the world in two. He always says, you are either for me or against me. You are coming alongside me or you are my enemy. And it's a hard way to start off a series on prayer. And so today, we're going to have a little bit easier of a time. Today, I'm hoping to relax you a little bit. In fact, maybe put you to sleep a little bit. I do that every once in a while. In fact, I had several people today go, don't put me to sleep. I was like, all right, thanks for the encouragement. I appreciate that. But I want, to, I want it to be comforting and relaxing today. So what I want to do on the front end of this is I want to lead us in a prayer real quick. You don't have to say it yourself. I'm just going to lead you in it. I just want you to close your eyes, and I'm not going to rush through this prayer, Okay. Father, we are thankful to be in your presence, not because we're at church, but because we are gathering to worship you. That can be done in our homes. It can be done on our way to work. It can be done with our families. It can be done in a crowd. It can be done in a mountaintop. It can be done by the side of the road. It can be done in silence or with wind rushing around us. It can be done in a hurricane. When we gather in your name, you are there and present, and you hear us. Lord, today we, we seek comfort and peace. So many of our lives are chaotic or busy or filled. And Lord, we just ask that you invade our space, our minds and our hearts, our schedules and our workplace, our marriage our singleness, our dating life, our work, and everything in between. Lead us beside quiet waters. Comfort us in our affliction and give us rest that can only come through you. In Jesus' name, amen. Doesn't that just feel good to take like a second and do that? Most of us don't have that built in. We're always from one thing to the next. And I've had a lot of people ask me how I am lately, and I'm just like, do I look sick? Do I look like I'm tired? Like, what's going on here? And, and to be honest, most of the way I've, I've told people has been, look, I've been running hard for a long time, and I'm a high-capacity person who always likes to do things. And so resting for me is not, it's not very 
I'm not wired to do it really well. I kind of have to injure myself to force myself to rest. It's kind of a whole weird thing. But this psalm is really comforting to me. And I hope it, it is for you. And it starts off, like you probably heard so many people say this way, Psalm 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, and I have what I need. It says it's a psalm of David. And David, who obviously started off as a shepherd and became king, it's amazing when you are to say to someone else, you know my profession better than I do. You're more of an expert in that field than I am, God. I want to turn to you to be my shepherd. And David knew all what shepherding was like. He said he had rescued his sheep from bears and from lions. He slept out with them underneath the stars. He traveled with them. He protected them. He left some to go get the ones that were, you know, some of us sheep are a little ornery and we kind of leave. Uh, every once in a while, we need someone to take us back. And so David knew all this. He knew exactly what it means to be a shepherd. And he starts off this psalm by acknowledging that God is ultimately his shepherd. And it's a motif that's, that's put in lots of places in not only the New Testament, but the Old Testament. You know, shepherds were out there and they were with smelly sheep all the time, but they were also respected. In fact, for a while, it was, you know, commonplace to say, oh, I can't believe God would use shepherds. They weren't respected. But as we do more research and we realize, like, shepherds roamed and they took news with them wherever they went to. And they visited different towns, and they were up, and they were even probably rough people because they had to survive out in the wilderness. But they were incredibly respected. They're there when Jesus is born. There are many shepherds in the Old Testament and the New Testament that God picks for leadership. Maybe because part of their time is away from people and with smelly beings, you know, all the time. And maybe they have a lot of time to just be available to God. Maybe we should take more of a shepherding approach ourselves, that we need to get out more, away from the noise of the city in our lives, and just out in the countryside be able to sit. You know, I don't have time to talk about this, but there's so much research that says people aren't bored anymore, and it's really good for your mind, and it's really good for you to not be entertained, and the whole we've been on our cell phones has been done for a decade, so I'm not going to lecture on that. But what I think is, is very interesting is that we are so injected with content in our life all the time that none of us just sit and just stare out into space like a weirdo. Because we think people are weird when they do that. Let me, let me ask you a question. Which one of these do you see more often? People on their cell phones at a Starbucks or sitting, staring off into space? It's the first one, right? If you see the second one, you're like, that person's done well. You know, I, I need to go and check on them. And maybe they're not. And maybe the thing that we need to do more than a, anything else is to contemplate, to clear our heads, to be bored, and to not let life in just for a minute, just to concentrate on God. You know, he continues on. And again, it's, it's so comforting the way he uses the language in this. He says, God, my shepherd, he lets me lie down in green pastures. Now, I'll be honest. The first time I read this, I was like, I am allergic to grass. This sounds horrible. You know, I'm just like all itchy all the time. One of the many pleasantries of being a ginger, I might add. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his namesake. You know, when I, when I read this psalm and I picture it, 
I think about how calming this is. You know, all, all the time I, I, I talk with people, and every once in a while I hear this phrase, you know, the outdoors is my church. And, you know, sometimes I bristle at it because I don't, I don't think that's quite right, but at the same time I think it's exactly right. I don't think it's one or the other. I don't think you should go to the outdoors instead of going to church. But I would also probably say, I don't think you should go to church without getting outside. Because if it's his creation anyways, I can see the appeal of being outdoors and looking at the mountains or the stars or just sitting beside a creek and listening to the water. And it's hard not to think of the majesty of God. And in Psalm 23, I mean, David is essentially, I mean, he's, he's Israel's greatest king. He's got all the power in the world. He's got all the money in the world. And the thing that brings him comfort is to lay down in a green pasture next to quiet, trickling water. I mean, it's the peace that all of us so desperately need in our lives. I mean, he says, this is the thing that I seek. I want my shepherd to lead me out into a big green field. And I want to lay down beside some quiet waters and just hear him talk or just to be in his presence because he renews my life and he leads me along his path for his namesake. It's meant to be comforting. It's meant to be awe-inspiring. It's meant to be peaceful. Now, here's what I get besides the being allergic to grass part from this portion of it. Here's the thing that I think that we do so poorly, and, and, and this is me too, and I've realized that you know, as I was doing research for this over the last couple weeks or so. I'm very, 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 very bad at this. So I'm telling you this up front, so you think this is an indictment on you. It's not. I'm preaching to myself. You just happen to be in the room, so congratulations. Here's the word that I am very bad at. Maybe you are too. It's this word, contentment. Contentment. How much is enough? And I don't just mean money. I don't just mean, you know, the toys you have. How much is enough in our life? I mean, David had everything. He had an entire kingdom. He had a spouse, in fact, several of them at times. He had the army at his disposal. He could tell people where to go. But the thing I think he's trying to impress upon us is the contentment that can only come through God. Now, I'll tell you a few ways I'm not very good at contentment. When I achieve something, I am terrible. You can ask my staff this. I'm terrible at celebrating the win in the moment because I'm like, oh man, there's something else to do. Got it, we check that off. There's always a house project that like never seems to be enough, you know? You fix one part of your yard and you're like, that part of my yard doesn't look so good anymore because that part I fixed up and I'm always like having another project. Maybe that's you as well. I'm always reading another book, listening to another podcast. I'm always trying to find a way, you know, to provide there's always something. I don't think ever in my life I've sat down and said, I'm content. If I went today, it was enough. I always feel like I've missed out, which at least for me constantly makes me look forward at the possibilities. And it's not a healthy way to live. So three points along these lines of contentment. You know, we can only be content in life when we are fully satisfied in God alone. And this is an age-old point. People have made this, Christians and non-Christians have said, the money in the world, I mean, the Beatles said this, money can't buy you love, right? I mean, other people know this. 
They know that money can't buy you happiness. They know that all the stuff in the world eventually fades and rots. They know that all the shiny things that you could ever want will never make you satisfied. And it's only when we are content with God and fully satisfied in him that contentment can happen. And it's a hard thing to do. Some of us own some really nice stuff. We live in a beautiful valley. You know, it's, it's hard to be content because there's always something we could accomplish, always something we could do, always the next thing that we can get. But honestly, Scripture wants us to be fully satisfied in God alone. And if we can't get to that point, we will always chase something new, something better, something more exciting, or just something we haven't experienced before. So where does that leave the rest of the stuff that we have? I mean, we don't want to be like, hey, uh, really can't enjoy my company with you. I'm really enjoying God right now. Like that, that would be rude to everyone around us, right? It doesn't mean you have to go out and sell all your stuff, you know, and be like, all right, that's it. I'm going to have no possessions. In fact, there are, there are religions that believe that. It's that. The attachment of things leads to suffering. So if you just don't own anything, you will not suffer. And I don't mean that either. Maybe we could say it this way. When we are fully satisfied in God, we can fully enjoy everything else. Everything else gets put into its proper place. And there's a couple things that happen. One, you, you realize these are all really gifts from a God that really loves you. And you could also say that the giver is the one that you concentrate on more than anything else. That if all of it was taken away, I mean, we just talked about Job, you know, about a month ago, and he had everything taken away from him. And the one thing he knew he had was God. So being fully satisfied in God allows us to go through life and say, I don't need that job. I don't need that paycheck. It would be nice to have those things. I don't need that other thing that someone else has and to spend your life trying to get that. I am fully satisfied in God alone and anything he brings along my way is gravy. Or if you don't like gravy, bonus, whatever it is. And the third point we can make about this is you cannot enjoy the rest of your life if you don't rest in your life. I mean, there's this whole weird concept, I don't know, it's called the Sabbath or something like that, that it's in Scripture. And I can tell you, it's not the same as having fun. It's not. And I think sometimes we have thought, oh, I'll go fishing, or I'll go golfing, or I'll go mountain biking, or I'll just read a book, or something like that. It's not the same. Having fun and not doing work are not the same as having a Sabbath. And I don't mean a particular day. Maybe it's just four hours at a time. Maybe it's spread out a couple times during the week. But you will not enjoy the rest of your life if you don't rest in your life. And that rest is supposed to orient you towards God. See, most of us think of Sabbath as like, oh, that's just the day that I recharge. That's the day that I don't do work that's the day that I get to say no to household chores. Yes, it's the one day I get to do that. But it's not for that. Sabbath was designed for man, for people. To look at a day or look at a time frame, that ever, whatever you have, and you can just contemplate how good God truly is. I mean, it's part of the thing that David is talking about. I mean, he's not thinking about going out to this green pasture and sitting beside this quiet uh, river or sprinkling stream or whatever it is. He's like, finally, I've got a clear head. I can do all this work that I have been waiting on. Or finally, you know, I'm just going to go do something fun. The idea was to rest in such a way 
is to honor God with our time and our minds and our body. And to say, God, thank you for all the work you've given me. God, thank you for the family. Thank you for the stuff. Thank you for my finances. Whatever you want to thank him for, the idea is to rest and thank him during that time. And that's why having fun is not the same as rest. I don't know. The things I do for fun are tiring. <laughs> they're, not, they're not very restful. So I know at least in my life, like they're, they're not very restful for me. But, but David is pointing to this fact that if you do not rest in your life, you will not enjoy the rest of your life. You will burn out. You will become a shell of yourself. And you may have resentment to your job, to your family members, to your friends, if they keep you going all of the time and you don't take a moment, you also don't give all of those people your best. So you need that. So as it continues, Psalm 23 says this, even though I walk through the darkest valley. Now, most of us have read this scripture and we hear the valley of the shadow of death. Hebrew word Salameth right there basically signifies that there's a connection between darkness and death. It was the ultimate fear of almost everyone on the planet. Besides the age-old thing is that doing what I'm doing right now, you'd rather be the person in the casket than giving the speech at the funeral, which is kind of weird. But most people fear death because they don't know what's on the other side. They don't know if they will go to a good place or to a bad place or to no place. And so David, in his confidence, he says, even though I walk through the darkest valley or the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no danger or no evil, if that's the version you like to read. And here's the reason. It's the title of this message. For you are with me. You see, the, the destination is not what drives out fear. It is not the knowledge of you going to heaven or going to another place or not going anywhere else at all that is the problem or the solution. It's who is with you on this journey. And David basically tells us, because you are with me, it doesn't matter how dark it is. It doesn't matter how far it is. It doesn't matter if I don't understand. God, if you are with me, that's all I need. Through every possible scenario. And it says, your rod and your staff, symbols of power of God, they comfort me. So these are alliterative, so they're helpful, hopefully, to learn the first one. Um, the second one is comfort here. We're, talk, we're going to talk about comfort. And a few points can be made just from the little things that David has said here. Again, the idea that David is the king and that he has a powerful army, and that he shouldn't have anything to fear, sees that he, he understands where his hope really comes from. So a couple points to be made here. First is this. You know, only God can lead people through death to the other side. I know for maybe Christians this is very basic, but it's not basic for most of the world. There are all sorts of ways we try to describe what it's like to die or after death, and the part that we forget is not just the destination. I mean, even Christians for so long focused on the place that they were going to go to. I just want to go to heaven. And if we have that inclination, we've, we've totally missed how Jesus has taught. Because when someone asked him, who was being crucified next to him, will you remember me? Jesus doesn't say, hey, there's this great place. Maybe I'll meet you there. He says, today you will be with me 
in paradise. Only God can lead people through death to the other side. It's part of the reason, you know, why during memorials and funerals or even times when people are vastly sick that they seek out God as a traveling partner or they at least want to hear about the option. Because we have to remember that only God has the power to look through and pass death and to say, you can come with me. I will lead you through it. You will not be stuck in it. You will not stop there. You will be with me, and I will pull you through death itself. The second one is this. You know, fear is always present in God's absence. Always. And this is maybe a convicting thing for us to think about. The reason we are afraid of things in life is that because we haven't included God in them. There's almost no other way to say it. The reason we are afraid of where our next paycheck is going to come from or what our kids are going to do or if they're going to grow up and have faith or whether or not God even cares about us or trusts us, whatever it is for you, is because we haven't yet included God to a way that we go, I know you are with me. And I know, realistically, I don't have as much control over this situation as I wish I did. And the reason we fear things is because we believe that God is absent or we just don't include him. Fear is always going to be present in God's absence. But when we include him, when we realize, like David, that he is with us, we understand that the most powerful being ever who is uncreated, who created everything with a word, who can reach through death and pull us through, we go, if you are with me, there's nothing to fear. There's, there's really isn't. There may be consequences that we don't prefer. But if you, God, are truly with me, I have no fear. And most of us would love to get to that place. We go through life not worrying. In fact, Jesus was very clear on this. He says, don't worry. And we're like, how do you do that? <laughs> Got a lot of worries, right? And the psalmist David is saying, if you know that God is with you, there's nothing that will drive out fear. Now, this, this last one, I tried to like make a little bit memorable and maybe rhymable. It's not really rhymable, but you can see it. You know, be, being with makes every situation manageable, every tragedy bearable, and every good thing shareable. Now, I'm going to tell you, I am an introvert, which may be surprising to most of you. Introverts does not mean that you don't like being around people. It doesn't mean you can't public speak. It doesn't mean any of that. What it does mean is that for people who are introverted, we prefer to be by ourselves. We love you, but please leave. You know, that's kind of the thing. And every once in a while, I'll have people at my house, and I'll look at the watch, and I'll be like, it's 10 p.m. Get out. I want to go to bed, you know, or something like that. Or just at the end of the long day, and again, just to be vulnerable, at the end of Sundays, I'm tired. I'm wiped out. I am peopled out. doesn't mean I don't love people. It just means that I prefer to recharge by myself, which is why this last one is at least so hard for me. Because I'm like, I'd rather go on a bike ride, maybe by myself. I'd rather go read a book by myself, which I guess reading with others is kind of weird. So that one's fine. But the rest of them, I'm like, I will go do this thing by myself. A neighbor came by the other day, was helping me with some shoveling. And, you know, I hate that my first inclination was to be like, you know what, I'll just do this by myself. It's like, it's dumb. You know, the New Testament, and then the Old Testament for that matter, emphasizes not only the power of community, but being with people and being with God. And you and I and we need people because if you're in a situation that you can't handle and you're with someone else, especially if you believe that God is with you, anything seems to be manageable. And when you have a tragedy that has befallen you and your family, it is so terrible to turn inwardly and to push people away because it makes tragedy even more terrible because you're going through it alone. 
And the other thing is it makes every good thing shareable. You know, there are several times that I've watched a sunset, or done a cool trick on a bike. Not that cool, I'm not that great, and I'm old now. But a couple other things that I'm like, wow, this is awesome. And it's even more wowing, or it's even more great when one of my kids or my wife or one friend say, ah, this is a great moment. And you get to share that with someone else. So the psalmist continues, says, you, and now he's switch, switching kind of from shepherding to Friendship. Now, friendship with God is kind of an interesting concept, but Jesus introduced this far more than anybody else. He talks with his disciples. He says, no longer do I call you followers, but I call you friends. Friendship with God is actually possible. And the language that the psalmist used here seems to be a friendship that God is actually serving as a friend. He says, you prepare a table before me which means there's probably going to be food there. I am now tuned in, right? You prepare a table before me, but you do it in the presence of my enemies. And there's this clear distinction there that God is the friend. He is the one who is for you. But there's clearly this other group of people that does not love, that wants to harm, and that wants to take us away from God. He says, you anoint my head with oil. This actually happened to David. He was anointed with oil as king. But the more important one was God doing it to him. And he says, my cup overflows. He says, only goodness, and this is the end of the psalm, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. I mean, he ends this whole entire psalm with just joy and gladness and confidence, which we're going to talk about in just a second. And he says this, and this is the hope that he has, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. I mean, it is a beautiful psalm. You can't help but read this and think that God is with you and to want to seek rest and to realize that there is ultimately a hope that you can be with God forever. So here's the third one, third C word here. It's confidence. Confidence. I think David ends... And he wants people to realize how confident you can be when you walk with God. He says, hey, look, fear is pushed out. You you can kind of get that. It doesn't mean you'll never be afraid of anything, but it means you can come back to this realization. I mean, again, without getting too philosophical here, if you knew, if you knew without a shadow of a doubt that someday you would be in heaven with God and you were living eternally and there would be no more suffering and there would be no more death. And hint, that is what it teaches in the Bible. It's in Revelation 22. If you knew without the shadow of a doubt that it doesn't matter any of your choices or any of your consequences or anything that happened in your life because the one choice you made to follow Jesus was enough, wouldn't you think that would give you an unparalleled confidence in life? Made a bad decision there. It's okay. I got all of eternity to learn. Didn't do this thing right. Harmed someone else. Super sorry for that. I need to, you know, be repentant of that. But ultimately, I know I will go be with God forever. I mean, if you had this confidence that someday you will be with God forever, it minimizes everything we maximize in our own life. It puts into perspective everything in our life. So a couple things to say here. You know, without God, we may survive an enemy, but only with God will we triumph over them. You can survive something, but surviving and living and triumphing are not the same thing. And to be clear, this does not mean people. 
The ultimate and only enemy that scripture tells us is Satan and his minions, the one who wants to take you away and capture your soul. And God puts them on display. He makes us eat in front of them. Hey, you thought you won. I'm going to eat this sandwich right in front of you and glare at you. (laughs) Or whatever it is. Second one, you know, we have no future without God's faithful love. You know, the psalmist uh, says is that I will stand in God's faithful love. He is faithful to us. He always guarantees his promises will go through. Faithful to us. We should be faithful to him. It should just be that way. But he is faithful to us. And the last point here, maybe this confidence isn't an attitude. It's the assurance that comes through our relationship with God. There's a difference between confident holding your head up high. Confidence does not come from our stature, how good we are, how much we don't sin. It comes from the fact that we are assured that our relationship with God will persevere throughout all of eternity. And he gives us comfort and he gives us confidence. So here's some next steps and one prayer, and then we got something to do together. So here's some next steps to make this very, very practical for you because we've talked a lot about a, great, a lot of great things, but here's what you can do. Only two of them. First one, or three of them. For contentment, take a mini Sabbath. Take nothing with you. Don't take your phone. Don't take a book. Don't take a bike. Don't take anything else. Go be somewhere with God. 15 minutes, 20 minutes. I guarantee you, if you start doing this, you will begin to crave it. You'll begin to crave that silence and solitude with him. You'll become a better person for the people around you. They'll notice it. But take a mini Sabbath. Don't take anything with you. Just go and be with him. Jesus modeled this. It says, Jesus often went alone to be with the Father. I don't think he took his iPhone with him. I know it wasn't embedded yet, but still. Number two, for comfort, go with someone this week. Something you normally do alone, take someone with you. Maybe it's a, a, an adventure that you go on. Maybe it's a chore that you do. It's a way better to take people with you to do a chore, to have more people go with you. But just go with someone, someone that you don't normally go with, someone that maybe needs your presence. Just go with someone. Instead of doing this thing by yourself, which is always easier, unless you're doing manual labor, then it's harder. Take them with you. And the third one is in terms of confidence, And this is easier said than done. Just find the thing in your life that you were the most afraid of and just begin telling God, God, I just give this to you. I can't control this anyways. With you present, I do not fear this thing. And there is some psychological stuff that goes on there when you talk with your, through yourself. You, know, you, you tend to tell yourself this, and this kind of becomes your new narrative in your life. And I don't, I don't mean you can manifest things. But what I do mean is that if you coach yourself through releasing it to God, eventually you will believe yourself because you'll believe him, if that makes sense. So here's this week's prayer, and we're going to do something. Here's this week's prayer based on Psalm 23. God, I know you are with me. Help me to be content with you alone. Comfort me in my pain. Give me courage when I am afraid, and lead me to rest when I am exhausted. Help me remember your faithful love and to be confident in my future. You are my shepherd and my father, and I will fear nothing because you are with me. Do you think if you prayed that, that would change your life? I think so. So here's what we're going to do together as I invite the band out. 
there is a way that you actually practically do this, especially in the church world. You know, Jesus only asked him to remember him by one thing, and that's through communion. And there are a few things that are really interesting about the way that he describes communion. You know, when Jesus passed around the bread and he passed around the wine, he did not say, these are metaphorical things for you to represent. Hey, this is an image. When you look at this, think of me. He literally said, when you eat this bread, it's my body. And when you drink this, it is my blood. I am with you when you partake of communion. Remember what I have done. And it includes all of the elements that we just talked about. You can be content because you know salvation alone comes from him, and you don't need anything else. You can be incredibly comforted because we all have a past that we wish we could look away from, but Jesus has taken that. And then we can look forward in the confidence that ultimately one day we will go and be with him in his kingdom forever. So here's what's going to happen. We're going to play some music in just a second. And over those next two songs, I adhere to you to come up to either side of the room to grab your community elements and ask God for three things. God, help me be content with you. Help me find comfort in you and help me be confident. And remember what he has done on the cross to enable those things to become a reality. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this psalm. We could spend weeks on this because it is so rich and so powerful. We just ask that you are, and we know that you are here with us today. Remind us to be content in you. Let us find comfort in you. And let us be confident that we can walk in all eternity, starting now with you as our Lord and our shepherd and our friend. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. When you're ready, go ahead and come up and take communion.